going to have our Bible reading now, so if you'd like to grab a red Bible and open it up to page 1096, we're going to start Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. That's page 1096. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Continuing over the page at Acts chapter 7, verse 51. It's on page 1098. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. It will be that helpful. It will be that helpful. You're just like your father. When Naomi and I did some marriage preparation some four years ago, there were two things we were told by our marriage counsellor never to say. The first one is always. You always, you always, you always. Never say always. It's a generalisation. It's probably not true. And the second thing was you're just like your father or you're just like your mother. There's a number of reasons why that is a terrible thing to say. Ever been on the end of that one? It's, it hurts. It can really hurt, can't it? Ever been the one to say it? As soon as it comes out of your mouth, 
you want to take it back. There's a few reasons why it's one of the worst things we should say. Most importantly, uh, because it destroys any hope that that person has of becoming more or different to their mother or father. It ties them down to this fate about you're just you're always going to be like your father. There's no other picture for you, no other person you're going to become. You're just like your father. Stephen was absent from the marriage preparation course that Naomi and I did. But I imagine even if he was given the advice uh, that we were given, he would have ignored it on this occasion because it was exactly what needed to be said and it was true. Verse 51 of chapter 7, you're just like your ancestors. Literally, and in other translations, as your fathers did, so do you. What a stab in the heart. Something I've been acutely aware of uh, over the last six weeks when little Leif entered our family. Uh, this is a picture I took of him yesterday, and I promise you he smiled 30 seconds before this was taken. Um, he smiled twice, and the reason he's frowning is because we all got so excited, I think we screamed, and uh, the poor kid got a bit of a shock. It was his first smile. I was, Dad was in tears. Something I've been acutely aware of uh, as this little guy entered our lives is the fear of bringing my, the weaknesses of my father into my own fatherhood. Or at least bringing the weaknesses of my own father into my own personhood, into who I am as a person. It's not hard, is it, to be shaped by both the good and the bad of our parents. My father was a great father. But of course, like all of us, there's some things I'd like to believe I can work on, I can get better on, I can improve on. And to do that, I have to reflect on what my father was like. I have to think about him and my relationship with him. I have to go deep. I have to do family of origin kind of stuff. I have to do that deep life work. And that's hard work. That's emotional work. It's painfully honest work. And that's the work Stephen does in front of the Jewish leaders. We didn't get time to read it, but there is a 10-minute speech in between chapter 6, where we first find out about Stephen, and in between that last little bit of his speech that we heard, it would have taken 10 minutes for, for us to read it. But what he's doing is recapping the most important fathers in the Jewish faith, in the Israel faith. Because he wants to tell us their story. And he's holding them up. And at the end of his speech, we got his executive summary, verse 51 of chapter 7, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, you stubborn people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. In other words, they're not religious where it counts. You are just like your ancestors. You're just like your fathers. How are they just like their fathers? He says the second thing you should never say, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You'll remember Stephen is the one who's being, being accused here. But here he puts the accusation on them. And he says, you're the ones with the problem. You're just like your fathers. 
you resist God himself. What I see here in this narrative of Stephen, and I want to ask you to go home and read the whole thing, take 10 minutes to do that, all of chapter 7. It's the longest speech in Acts. It's a, a great speech. I see a contrast and a comparison between the way of the fathers and the way of Stephen. The way of the fathers and this new way of living, this new possibility. And so like the TV ad, I want to compare the pair this morning with you. So firstly, and um, this is why you need to keep your Bible open because we we didn't have this bit read to us, but I want you to turn back to chapter 7 verse 1. Because firstly, Abraham, uh, Stephen talks about Father Abraham. This is the father of all fathers. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. Yes, that's who we're talking about. We'll sing it later if you'd like. Have a look at what he says, chapter 7, verse 1. The high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and sisters, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to the land where you are now living. Why does Stephen bring up Abraham as his first father to point at. One of the reasons I think he does this is because Abraham, even the father of our faith, to begin with, was resistant to God's Holy Spirit. Have a look. It says, God told Abraham to go all the way to the land that he would show him and the land that they are now living in. We know that's the promised land, that's Canaan. But look where he stops. He stops in a place called Haran. He stops halfway. And it's not until his father dies that he leaves his father. And yet he was told, leave your father and your people and go to land I will show you. Stephen's doing a little bit of revisionist history here to show us if you read the story really closely, you'll notice Abraham struggles with something we all struggle with. Obeying God, not going all the way in our obedience. Being people who go halfway because we desire comfort over what God wants for our lives. Abraham's happy with how things are. He's unwilling to lay down his customs, his traditions, his family, his people and follow and obey God. And there's a lesson there about how we can be like our fathers when we're self-serving rather than God-fearing, when we resist the Holy Spirit by going halfway. I think as Christians, we can be, and I'm guilty as well, we can be too content with our halfway obedience. I think Christians have become known by people who don't do certain things. That's what Christians are. They don't do this, they don't do that, they're not like them, they're not like those people. We don't do things. The Bible calls us to be a certain kind of person, to do a certain kind of thing, to be God's people, to live a godly life, to, be a, to live a holy life, to serve the weak, the oppressed, to care for the poor, to preach the gospel. It calls us to do things. And yet I think 
We're satisfied by just not doing and not living the way that other people live. Now, that's the fathers, that's the way of the fathers. Let's have a look at the way of Stephen in this moment. The way that Stephen is first introduced to us uh, in Acts chapter 6, um, verses 3 and verses 5, we're told that the community, this early Christian church, there was a problem and there's a complaint between the Greek Jews and the Hebraic Jews because the widows, some of the widows, are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the apostles say, what we want you to do is choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom, turn this responsibility of looking after the widows to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so there's an admin role comes up at church. That's what's happening. An admin role comes up a job that needs fixing because of the brokenness of the world. And nobody really wants to do it. The apostles are interested in handing it over to somebody else. And we're told somebody of seven men full of the spirit and wisdom are given this job. One of the ways in which we can resist the Holy Spirit is when we go halfway in our duties. I imagine waiting on tables uh, is, is not, a very, it's not a very prestigious job, is it? It's not prayer in the ministry of the Word. It's not preaching. At least that's how it seems to me. It could seem to look like second-class, second-tier ministry. You're dealing with people who are apparently socially insignificant. There's some ethnic prejudice against them. I imagine it would have taken Stephen some humility, and all of these men, some humility to take on this duty, this thing that needs to be done. What I want you to notice about Stephen is he doesn't just do it. He doesn't just do his duty. He takes up his duty even to the point of death. Somehow waiting on tables for the Lord, for Stephen, turns into him becoming the first Christian martyr. There's an example, I think, of going all the way picking up a responsibility that needs to be done and doing it come what may. Stephen's this different example to us than the fathers in that first instance. In the second instance, um, again in chapter 7, Stephen tells us about another father of the faith, Joseph. Joseph, you'll remember, and there's a little picture there, Joseph at night time would have dreams of his, fa- of his brother's the 11 other patriarchs of Israel, bowing down to him, his older brothers serving him. Not only that, we're told that Joseph was the most loved son of Jacob. And what are we told in verse 9 of chapter 7? We're told that the brothers are jealous. And what do they do? They sell Joseph off into slavery. The 11 patriarchs, the 11 fathers resisted God and what he was up to and they sell their brothers into slavery. These older brothers, you know, they had rights. They had an inheritance. They didn't need to listen to their younger, less experienced brother and his visions. They wanted their father's love. The younger son just, just had this extraordinary love 
from their father. That point, I think, speaks right into the heart of the leaders that Stephen is speaking to in this moment. This is another way that they're just like their fathers. Not only were they very comfortable with their family history and the traditions they had, like Abraham, but when it comes to listening to this younger brother, when it comes to listening to Christianity and their message about the younger brother Jesus, who's God's one and only beloved son, and that he should be listened to above everybody else, that everybody will serve him, everybody will bow down to him, what are the Israelites willing to do in that moment? They're willing to throw him down a ditch. They're willing to kill him. And that's exactly what they do to Jesus. They nail the younger brother to a cross out of jealousy. How do they resist the Holy Spirit? Like their fathers, they resist the younger son and they murder him. Stephen is the opposite of this. He's different to this. How is Stephen different to the fathers here? Well, Stephen entrusts his life to the younger son. That's what Stephen does. Have a look at verse... um, Oh, let me get there in a moment. You will have noticed Stephen is treated incredibly unfairly in this situation. And ultimately, it ends in his stoning. I was watching, I don't know whether you've seen it, but the um, series AD on Netflix, it's kind of a dramatization of the book of Acts. Worth your time, helps you get into, um, helps you feel and experience the situation a little bit. But the way in which it presents Stephen at this point is of a kind of young, zealous, arrogant, outspoken, rash man who puts himself in this situation. But Luke, the writer of Acts, doesn't portray Stephen like that. It says says the Spirit gave Luke his wisdom. It says that men were secretly persuaded to say that Stephen was speaking blasphemously. It says they stirred up the people, the elders, the teachers of the law, and produced false witnesses against him. So Stephen is facing this incredibly unfair, hostile, unjust environment. Uh, But what does Stephen do in that moment? Have a look at verse 59. This is the climax, chapter 7, verse 59. It says, While they were stoning him, in that injustice, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. There's a lesson for the early church and for us in that. Following God's Holy Spirit Welcoming God's Spirit into our lives will mean trusting God in the midst of opposition. Sometimes following Jesus is going to mean you're going to be treated unfairly and unjustly. Just because you have God in your life doesn't mean everything's going to go well for you. You already know that. But it may be a part of God's plan for you to be thrown down a well, to be sold into slavery in Egypt for the sake of your brothers. We would do well to expect unfair treatment in our life in regards to our faith. The narrative of the fathers is to be liked by everyone all the time. The narrative of Stephen, this new person, is that he is able to trust Jesus and understand that following Jesus might mean people don't treat you right. And he entrusts himself into the the younger son's hands 
The third father that we get is Moses. The third father that we get is Moses. Moses is a very special boy, as you know. Uh, he's a Hebrew boy, but he's born in Egypt. His mum puts him in the river. He ends up under the um, tutelage of the Egyptian royal family. But he receives a special call from God. You remember that moment in front of the burning bush? God calls him to be a ruler and a leader and to save the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And then even when they're in the desert, after he has saved them, God gives him the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law so that the people will know how to love and serve God properly. But how do the fathers respond to him? How do the the Israelite fathers, the Jewish fathers, respond to Moses? In verse 27 of chapter 7, we're told they say, Who made you, Moses, ruler and judge over us? And then in verse 39, Our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. This is the third way that the Jews had resisted the Holy Spirit by wanting to be their own boss. They didn't want a ruler and a judge over them. They didn't want somebody to tell them how to live their lives. We can reject God in the same way when we think that we're the authorities over our own lives. When we refuse to have a ruler and a judge. I want you to notice the difference in Stephen's life. Verse 55, it couldn't be clearer. Chapter 7, verse 55. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Instead of resisting the Holy Spirit, it says Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. And what does he see? He sees Jesus at the right hand of God. It tells us he saw Jesus as his ruler and his judge. What's really interesting is that he sees Jesus standing. Every other time the Bible talks about Jesus at the right hand of God, he's sitting. That's because a king doesn't stand for anyone, and Jesus has finished his job. So why is he on his feet? Why is he standing? And commentators will say it's because it's most likely he's vindicating Stephen. He's standing and receiving Stephen's testimony. The other thing that's possibly happening here is he's getting up to welcome him home. He's opening the front door. I see heaven open. He's opening the front door and he's welcoming Stephen home. And it's at this point that the Jews stop their ears. They yell at the top of their lungs. They do not want to hear this. Why is Stephen being welcomed home? I was tempted today to finish this sermon by saying something like, Stephen's welcomed home and so will you be, because if you stand up for Jesus, Jesus will stand up for you. I think that preaches really well. I think it's probably got some merit to it. But I think there's something bigger going on here, which we've seen in this comparison between the the way of the fathers and the way of Stephen, the way of this new person. Stephen is welcomed home because his family, 
God the Father and God the Son welcome him home because he's like them. He's one of them. He isn't in the image of the fathers anymore. He doesn't resist the Holy Spirit. He's full of the Spirit. He sees Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And as a result, he's being transformed into the likeness of the Son and has taken on the image of the Father, the Father. Commentators point out, maybe you notice, there's at least 10 things just in this passage about how Stephen is like Jesus, like the Son. He's falsely accused, he's charged of blasphemy, he's put on trial, he's asked by the high priest to give a response, he commits his spirit to God, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, he asks God to forgive those who are killing them, Lord, do not hold this against them, it's just like Jesus. But I think actually we can see it if we zoom out on even a bigger level. Stephen is, his whole life, Stephen's whole life reflects the son's life. It's the son, it's Jesus, who Stephen is being made into the image of. Think about Jesus. He was not like the fathers. He humbled himself and was obedient, not halfway, but to the point of death and death on a cross. Jesus trusted God when all the brothers were against him in the face of opposition for our sake, for our salvation. Jesus is alone exalted to the right hand of the Father and is welcomed home by the Father. And what this points to is a new option for us, a new opportunity for us. We don't have to be like the fathers anymore. We don't have to inherit their bad traits we can instead be made into the image and likeness of the Son, who is the exact representation of the Father. That's the opportunity we have for us. And I think that's a happy message for Father's Day. You can be like the Father through the Son. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thanks for the example of Stephen and for showing us the weaknesses of our spiritual fathers, that we might not resist your Holy Spirit as they did. Help us to receive your Spirit, to see Jesus as our ruler and our judge, and to worship him, not ourselves, and in doing so to become like your glorious Son, and one day when the time comes, be welcomed home. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.